welcome back to the NES Experience. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you listened to our last episode at the end of it, you're probably expecting some kind of guest. Well, that didn't really pan out well for us. Uh, It just, you know, things happen. Life gets in the way. And yeah, we're here, just me and Ned, and introducing a new segment or something like that, trying to figure that out. But this is going to be our athlete question of the week. And our athlete question of the week this week is, why do you wear the same pants and clothes every day, Ned? I don't exactly wear everything the same day, but I was in one of my groups. Uh, I have a a pair of shorts. They're my favorite shorts. Uh, Of course, they're ripped on the side. I love the shorts so much that my wife for Christmas or Hanukkah bought me eight pairs of the same shorts. And basically my whole life I have lived like a gym teacher where I could wear anything that I want. And that's one of the benefits of the job. So the end result is I basically have eight pairs of shorts, but I only <laughs> wear the one pair. I, I, I cycle the other eight pairs in, but be before these shorts, I couldn't find, I couldn't find them anywhere. So basically I had to rock one pair of shorts for three years. And then finally, it might've been father's day, but my wife was like, Hey, what do you want for father's day? I'm like eight pairs of these shorts. So you just get spoiled when you can wear whatever you want every day. And because basically I'm moving around being athletic or unathletic and I need to be comfortable. So if you look at the, my timeline of clothes, I wore one pair of pants back when I worked for velocity It was my favorite pair of pants. Nine years. I wore these pairs of pants nine years straight. It was the only pair of pants that I wore when it came to work. And most of the time I try and wear shorts, but um, yeah, I have basically a rotation of three shirts that I wear every day. I have eight pairs of shorts that I wear every day. I now have two pairs of pants because the one pair fell apart. So I have my new same pair of pants that I wear every day because I haven't been able to buy eight pairs of the, uh, the new pants that I like. And it takes years to wear them in the way that I like to wear them in. So basically, I guess I need to implement more of my other seven, eight pairs into the rotation of the same pair that I wear every day. It's complicated. I'm a clothing, I'm a comfortable clothing snob. So now I don't have to get asked all the time, why do you wear the same clothes every day? Because I can. I don't have to wear a different colored suit every day. So it, it takes you years to break in the the pants. Years. Like, I mean, baseball players will break in a glove, you know, it takes them a year. But, like, plural, years for pants? They're sweatpants, right? Well, my current pair are more, like, windbreaker-type material. But, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I mean, it's because I have the ability to only wear the same pair of pants every day. And I guess people can't. But if you find your favorite pair of pants, you wear them longer and longer, they get more comfy. Like the shorts that I'm wearing right now are my ripped (laughs) shorts that I've been wearing for three years straight that I'll probably sleep in tonight. In uh, related clothing news, I've ripped two pair of jeans getting into my Jeep this year. So there's that. It's been pretty brutal for me in pants. 
Uh, so an, not an athlete question of the day, but just another question I guess I have is I see you you drinking a beer, Ned. Do you, have you had a bad day? Has it been a little rough? Um, well, first off, I am not a big drinker. I don't advocate drinking, but if you are over 21, it is legal. Uh, I don't drink a lot, but my my day-to-day uh, allowed me to to crack open a nice cold Miller Lite that they're not sponsors. Uh, they should be, but they make these 16-ounce cans. I basically feel like I'm at a Yankee game. The only difference is I don't have to pay you know, $13 for this, I can get like 15 of them for 18 bucks. So yeah, I mean, I'm having my ice cold beer because I received, uh, one of my coaches was supposed to coach, uh, a group session of football players and it was at six o'clock. And then at six Oh seven, I'm sitting there making my loaded baked potatoes, making the dada dinner, little, uh, barbecue pulled pork. They got the pulled pork from my uncle crack open a nice Miller Lite because of all the stuff that happened before that. And then I get the 607 phone call of, uh, hey, you coming tonight? And I was like, what do you mean? I said, uh, and he's like, uh, no, he's not here. And then it just turned into, you know, motherfucker. So basically, as I, I had to discontinue my pulled pork loaded baked potato an icy cold beverage to drive over to this location, uh, which normally takes 20 minutes to get there. And I got there in about 14 minutes. Um, but it's interesting because fun fact of Ned, Ned had perfect attendance from kindergarten until his freshman year in college. Did you know that? I think I did know that. I like to talk about it because it's really hard to not miss a day for 13 years ask Cal Ripken Jr. which is why he's one of my favorite baseball players because I don't care if you sucked when you went out there or not like I would go to school puking didn't matter mom was like going to school now if I got sent home because I was throwing up all over school didn't matter that was their choice I was writing it out but I tell the story a lot because what's I believe missing in the world right now is being responsible and going to work. I'm blue collar. I'm old school. Like I don't miss work. Um, the last time I missed work because of sickness was I got the COVID shot and I felt like I got hit by a bus and I knew I wasn't, I mean, I was ready to go. So I'm like, I'll call the morning group. I'm like, dude, I'm not feeling too good. They're like, Ned, you look like, you look like hell. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm good though. I'll be there in 20 minutes. They basically were like, you're not, you're just not even allowed to come in right now. So, um, I cannot deal with people being late to work and people missing work. That pisses me off because I mean, I'm six, like making it happen. I'm nine making it happen. You know, I just don't, there's just like, there's this understanding that you got to be like a normal fucking human and you just don't bullshit like that. Now it's tough because, you know, this person is generally, you know, reliable, but does have been late problems. But I, a lot of this old school, 
you know, mentality is being lost. And I'm going to be the old asshole that's 80 bitching about the youth and, and how the world is going down the toilet because people don't know how to, you know, get to work. It's a pet peeve of mine. Cal Ripken Jr. That motherfucker never missed. Yeah, the youths don't really know who Cal Ripken Jr. is these days. But, yeah, I, I thought you were drinking a beer because of your uh, your plane ride home. I know this episode's going to be kind of centered around, you know, your your trip back home to Indiana. But uh, you, you were texting me at a little bit of an interesting plane ride back. Uh, yeah, it was actually... <clears throat> I thought because I was get taken like a red eye, it arrived at 1 a.m. in Hartford. The expectation was that it was going to be a half full plane and uh, I would be able to stretch out. Fun fact, in all the times that I've ever flown, I've never had to sit next to anyone that wasn't my wife or my kids. Um, I have always figured out how to not have to sit by someone because I'm already a big guy. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. Uh, nobody wants to sit next to me. I wouldn't want to sit next to me. That's miserable. So I'd be dot if I'm looking down the aisle, I see myself sitting down. Uh-uh, not sitting next to that dude. So part of the ways when I was younger, the way that I would get out of uh, having to sit next to people is I would sit there, pick my nose, grunt, clear my throat, uh, flex up and make myself bigger than I really am. I basically made myself look like a disgusting slob that no one would ever want to sit next to. So my percentage of success rate on this is 100%. So my new situation on the way home was the other, because it was the last flight out, a flight got canceled because nobody wants to fucking work anymore. So now my half-fold plane turned into a completely filled plane. So I'm like, well, how the hell am I supposed to... you know, continue my streak if the plane is completely full. And I was like, well, we're going to figure this out. So normally I go all the way back, right side, maybe two rows, uh, enough so people can look kind of ahead and be like, oh, I don't want to sit next to that guy. And then they settle and they pick something, you know, a couple rows in front of me. I flip the script. I sit in the front row next to the girl with the baby because the only thing worse than sitting next to a big guy on a plane is sitting next to a baby and a mom on the other side. So basically front row, straight front row. So the first thing when they walk in, they're like, all right, well, there's a middle seat open between a baby and a big guy. And then there's really nothing to think about. So we go through the whole planes filling up, you know, I'm making conversation. Baby was cute. Mom was nice. And then we're still going. And I'm like, and then I hear the stewardess say to the mom, she was like, good news. There's actually three seats left. Um, it looks like your baby's going to be able to, you know, play in the middle seat. Now at this point in time, I've been hearing yelling and screaming my whole life, uh, at least for the last seven years. So I don't even care. And I got earbuds, but I had to roll the dice whole plane fills up which I thought there were three seats left. And then comes the largest human on earth. Cause I was like, I was like, we gotta, we gotta go. Like I was like, close the door, close the door, close the door. They wouldn't close the door. So it ended up sitting there for another half an hour. The largest human on earth comes in 
And then I look at the the mom and we're basically terrified, but we know that there's three seats left in the plane. So he does the hard ass look all the way down and he walks all the way down. And I actually told the girl the story and I was like, dude, I've never had to sit next to anybody. I did it again, talking shit. And then about, you know, seven minutes later, I look to my right and I see the largest human on earth coming back up. And he, and I'm using a WWF reference, Yokozuna. He Yokozuna his ass right in between us. It was like the fat kid jumping into a pool where all the water goes out of the pool. And he just plopped his ass down and he was so hot. I could, he was so winded walking down and back out of the plane that I could feel his, his breathing and like my body was moving up and down as it, it took him. I clocked it seven minutes to recover his heart rate from a slow walk from the back of the plane to the front of the plane. So at this point in time, I'm pouring sweat. Good thing I'm wearing my headband, which we learned on the last podcast is why I wear a headband for the situations like this. And my headband's soaked. I'm starting to get the sweat ring because my headband can't even take on the fucking campfire that this guy is putting off on me. And then I spent an hour and a half. I tried to get out of it. I walked up with the stewardess to try and stretch out. And I was like, man, I'm like, it's so, he's so hot. <laughs> I'm like, he's so hot. I'm like, I'm dying. I'm like, and she was like, oh, I'm like, why do the two biggest dudes on the plane have to sit next to each other? And she's like, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. I thought there was three seats left, but really that was the last seat. So I was 99.9% in the clear, and if the gates would have left when they were supposed to, I would have gotten the only open seat right in between us. And then they put the largest human on earth in between us. And then I talked to the mom after we were getting our baggage, and I guess the baby was pouring sweat, and she was pouring sweat, and obviously I took a picture. Uh, I don't know. I think I sent it to you. Did I send it to you? You did send it to me. She looked like uh, a very upset individual, but yeah, I guess to kind of wrap up our little intro, and uh, I guess it really hasn't been a little intro, but that's okay. How's Cindy doing? The dog. Um, Yeah, Cindy's uh, like seven months now. And he still pisses and shits in the house. And I don't understand. Like you go out, I mean, 12 times a day. You know it's wrong. You, you He shits in the same spot that's hidden that you can only see if you walk three feet. It's like around the corner. Like you know what the hell you're doing. He still piss, It just doesn't. I mean, 10 times a day, 30 days. That's 300 times a month. You're seven months old. It's, you've been outside thousands of times. I can now say you've been out thousands of times and you're still pissing in the house. Like, what the fuck? When does it stop happening? Yeah, that's that's a long time. I know my parents and me used to, we, we potty trained a couple of puppies and stuff uh, throughout the years. Usually it only take a couple of weeks. It's, uh, that's a very stubborn dog i think he got yeah i mean he yeah that's his very cute but his negative character trait is he's stubborn as hell he'll not shit outside for 20 minutes walk in literally the minute that you you look away from him he goes and shits on the floor thanks buddy
yeah, that's that's pretty tough. So, I guess maybe he's just just uh, he's just struggling there. But it is what it is. Getting into the the main focus of our podcast uh, episode today, we're we're gonna be talking about your trip back to Indiana. You you went home last weekend. We we didn't do a podcast episode. We we didn't have a guest. The guest didn't pan out. But you did go back home. Back home to the greatest place on earth, uh, Michigan City, Indiana, or Chesterton for formal address. But uh, yeah, went home. General shit show. Uh, the good news is my parents don't listen to my podcast, so that means if I need to talk shit uh, or generally say anything, I don't have to worry about the repercussions of that. So that's good. But uh, the reason for going home. Normally, I'm not the guy that like dishes dirty laundry uh, online. I mean, I don't even. Rocky died over a year ago. I don't even do the post. You know, like everybody's like something bad happened. And I'm going to send a post and, you know, 378 people hit the heart button. Like, I don't even deal with that. I never put anything out there. So, yeah, I went home, flew home on a Tuesday and, uh, my the current health status of my my father is I think he's okay. He has diabetes. He treats it. He's a stubborn chiropractor. You know, unvaccinated. Not going to get into vaccination versus unvaccinated. Doesn't take diabetes meds. Doesn't take. He has high blood pressure. He doesn't take medication. He has high cholesterol. He doesn't take medication. I'm you know I am really anti drug, uh, but he hasn't taken a drug for 75 plus years. So I I do think there's a place for him in his current situation because he has diabetes. You know, he doesn't have a lot of energy. He's losing weight. And part of it is because when you have diabetes, you have a restricted diet. So you can't take in carbs. Um, When you have high cholesterol, you can't take in a lot of fat because that doesn't help with that. So we're kind of in this situation. He doesn't have the energy to exercise and work out because he doesn't feel good. It's all linked together. So part of my reasons for going home was uh, he had a doctor's visit on Wednesday and I wanted to be in the doctor's visit because every time they come out of the doctor's visit, I hear the same, you know, canned speech of, oh, everything is okay. My cholesterol is a little high and they would recommend that I get on cholesterol medication and of course he never does my goal was to just get in there and basically see exactly what the guy is saying and help my dad take action and change behaviors because of technology and drugs whether you like them or not there's a reason why you know in 19 my grandmother died when she was we'll say 67 maybe 63 and she died of diabetes because they didn't have medication there was no technology and you flash forward 50 years And you basically take some diabetes meds and you can eat like an asshole and you can just smash food. And I have other family members that have diabetes that take the medication and they eat whatever they want and it works. Not that I'm endorsing that you should eat like an asshole when you're on diabetes medication, but you know, for this specific situation, um, I think that, you know, he should do that. With that being said, I came home to go to the doctor's appointment to change behaviors and use, I don't know, some would say I'm an expert on something. I, I, I do believe in this situation. I can help. 
So part of helping would be to go to the doctor, interpret the things that he's saying, ask the right questions, create a game plan, create an action plan, make it happen. I'm a make it happen guy. And the, it did not go exactly how I expected it to go. Uh, I ended up not being allowed to go into the, into the room and listen to the doctor for reasons that had nothing to do with creating a game plan and an action plan. There's no reason I shouldn't have been in the room, but the reason why I wasn't in the room would have been, you know, uh, some external circumstances involving the psychology of someone in my family that's coded. So, and then my part two plan was to go home and do whatever yard work and stuff. Cause they're getting older. We have land in Indiana. So just try and do what I can. It's hard when you're a thousand miles away from home because you're so disconnected and you know, I'm married. I have two kids. I have a business. I have a podcast that I missed because of all this. So I just do whatever I can. Um, and this was a situation to where it was important enough that, you know, I kind of went out there. So part two would be the long cleaning and nothing happened. And then part that they magically didn't have anything that needed to be done. And then part three was the basically I'm a cook. I do all the cooking in my house. Been people have, if you listen to these, you know that. And part three was to cook for my dad, you know, go to the grocery store. I bought a lot of groceries and I was going to cook everything up, pre-portion it and freeze it. Because if you listen to, not to reference old podcasts, but if you listen to my nutrition podcast, part of the whole thing is being able to plan and prepare and there's extra things that you have to do to basically get to your end result. So in this specific situation, my mom doesn't like to cook. I just want to get, I, you can't have a narrow bucket list of foods. So, you know, if you, my dad eats the same six foods every single day. And that's unsustainable. And then at some point in time, you say, I'm tired of cottage cheese. Give me the bacon, egg, and cheese. And then relapse occurs and then bad things happen. So um, in my process to try and solve the problem, my mom doesn't like to cook. My dad likes to eat. And I need him to eat different varieties and not to go off on a diabetes rant. But if you have diabetes and high cholesterol and you're limited, he's losing weight, he needs to gain weight. But by eating various foods such as, or, you know, olive oil, avocado, healthy fats, healthy fats actually lower cholesterol, increases total calorie intake. So it allows him to um, gain weight and lower cholesterol. Um, You pair that with some nice little diabetes meds, which allows him to have more wiggle room, aka carbohydrates, uh, not shit carbohydrates, you know, red, you know, red potatoes brown rice, slow absorbing carbs to help give brain function and physical energy because carbs are your main source of energy. So you eat, you take the diabetes meds, you eat the carbs, you have the prepackaged meals with the extra calories, you know, like salmon, another, you know, great wonder food to eat. I'm just, I'm just making it happen right now. And I was excited and I did some meal planning and had the whole plan. And and that didn't happen. <laughs> the end result was uh, no food was cooked because of an unnamed person uh, f- flipped out and uh, it made that not not possible. So the end result is my I had three objectives for coming home and none of them happened. 
So now you got to sit here and be like, how is this possible? You know, how are you not changing your behavior? Like, how do you not want to take action to stay, you know, alive for another 10 to 15 years when you can, because we have technology and we have medicine, even though I'm generally anti-medicine. Part of the reason why I'm so anti-medicine is, you know, how you were raised, which just happens to be one of my four bullet points on, you know, why it's so hard to change behavior. So part of my bullet points is going to be a correlation in me trying to work in my dad's situation into why it's so hard to change. Part of it is going to be because you just can't, you just can't exercise. You can't pull it together and you, you just don't want to, you don't want to work out or it can correlate to, you know, bad eating habits and being overweight um, or not being able to take action in your career or your job and, and make changes whether it's you know, wanting to change fields or change careers, um, it's really anything that you need to improve in your life that you're finding that you just can't make that step um, to make that change. And this is not a podcast topic where I give you the answer because this is what everybody says. You're fat, right? You need to, uh, you need to exercise. You need healthy. Got it. We know that. We know that. We know that it's not that easy. So I'm not, my goal of today is not to get you to make changes. um, And I'm not going to say, oh, you need to eat healthy and exercise. We know that. It's more, A, understanding that it's not necessarily that you're just lazy. Because a lot of people that don't take action, either external people are saying, oh, it's because you're lazy. Or, you know, if you're fat, like nobody looks at a fat person and be like, he's, he's ambitious. He works his ass off. Like you just kind of get put into the category of if you are a specific way, or if you're not taking action, it's because you're lazy. It's not necessarily because of that. There's a lot of different factors. So I want people to start to look at, you know, and I put down four when I was on my uncomfortable ass plane ride home, but I was like, why are my parents acting like this? This is not how we were raised. Um, some of it is because of how we raised and carried ourselves, you know, through life. But it's not because they're lazy, because I watched them work their ass off for 70 years to provide for me and my sister. So why are you doing this? So I'm a bit, I'm a psychology guy. So anybody that I have relationships with, I ask a ton of questions on a daily basis to all my athletes, to all my interns, to all my coaches, um, to everyone that I know, because your genetic makeup, which is the first bullet point, your, your genetic makeup, you know, there's the physical genetic makeup and then kind of the mental you know, genetic makeup where you get those cool mental health disorders that are passed down from person to person. But there's, there's, I want people to start to understand, you know, start looking back. It tells a story, how your, how your parents are, how they raised you, what habits you have, good and bad. Um, the, the first bullet point, it's going to be more physical, but you know, I see a lot of people, if you look at female athletes and females in general, they have a lot of body dysmorphia issues. Like I've had many athletes with females with eating disorders and you look at them and, you know, ripped up six pack, 13% body fat, 
and you know they look in the mirror I had one athlete she told me that and and 99.9% of the women on earth would love her body and she would get to the point where when she would take a shower she would have to put a towel over the mirror and because she could not look at herself naked when she was in the bathroom but 99.9% of you know people wanted to basically be her so I mean these things play a role in your day-to-day life and I want people to understand that if you look at you look at me like I'm a somatotype guy so you have endomorphs which would be me and you you have thick big bodied you know can't burn fat but can you know get lean uh lineman type builds even though you were a quarterback you got then you have the exact opposite spectrum which is all the weight gain kids that I post and and train and they're metabolic burning machines and they can't get bigger so part of the thing is you know if we're talking about losing weight and and not having body dysmorphia and, and eating disorders and things like that I mean, you just need a shift in, in your expectation level. Start to understand, like, my dad's big, my mom's big, everybody in my family's big. Like, I'm not going to be 150. The longer you, if you start to look back and see what everybody looks like, it's a kind of a blueprint of what you're going to be. And people are too hard on themselves, and they have these unrealistic unrealistic expectations of what they want to be when it's just never going to happen. So changing your expectations or adjusting your expectations makes whatever you're trying to do more obtainable. The things that you see online and the things that you see in magazines and the way that the girls look and everything, everybody knows like filters are a real thing. And, and, you know, online, this is my online bash, but you know, what you're seeing is not really, and now they're starting things where the one girl suck her stomach in and like look one way and then she'll let her belly hang out and be like, this is what I really look like. So adjusting your expectation levels makes it a lot easier to obtain your goals because you're just trying to pick goals that you're never going to reach. Yeah. It's also something that you kind of, I think, learn with age, too. As you get older, you, you do have to learn to adjust your expectations. And it's just really difficult to build momentum if you keep thinking, like, oh, like, today I'm going to do all this crazy stuff. You know, if you take it a little by little or just focus on one thing at a time, it's a lot easier to, to like, make progress. And to give the my home trip evaluation, so here's an example I got. My aunt, who her cholesterol is 245. Anybody that doesn't know, you want to be under 200. She has high cholesterol. Part of it is because of her genetic makeup. And she exercises every day. She has a six-month book. She writes down when she's, how many hours a day she stands, how many hours a day she sits, how many, however many minutes to hours she does, the amount of miles that she walks, uh, her strength training, um, she eats literally, I mean, there's outliers. She's a sixth food bucket list eater. So she eats salmon, salad, chicken, fruit, eggs, 
I, I, I can't even think of any. I mean, I was with her for two days. And Vegetable. so, I mean, there you go. And she's been doing this for I don't even know how many years. Her cholesterol is 245. Got my mom. She was ranting and raving about her results. Uh, 176. And my mom doesn't exercise. Uh, she eats like my seven-year-old. She loves hot dogs. Uh, I stopped by a bakery and the Calumet Ave Bakery if you ever go to Chicago and you hopefully you don't get shot. But uh, they have a wonderful bakery that has a whole bunch of stuff. So in part of my brownie point scoring, I bring her home two chocolate donuts with sprinkles. So I come home and she's like, yeah, I'm headed to Taco Bell. I'm like, mom, why the fuck are you eating at Taco Bell? What's wrong with you? Like, you're not 16. And she's like, oh, I get a potato egg, potato rice, and some bullshit off the dollar menu. I was like, she's like, you want one? I'm like, no, I'm all set, but I'll take a Doritos Loco Taco. And she's like, oh, I'm not getting that. I'm like, what do you mean you're not getting that? She's like, you got to buy something off the dollar menu. So I'm like, I'm not eating some shitty burrito. If I'm going to nothing at Taco Bell, is, but we all know Doritos are pretty tasty and I never really eat a Taco Bell, but if you're going there, that's the only thing I'm interested in. Or a Mexican pizza, but they redesigned the formula for the Mexican pizza, and it's not like the old one when they brought it back, and that tastes like shit. Anyways, so you know she's starting her day off with Taco Bell. She smashes a couple donuts. I go in the kitchen. I open up the cabinet. There's Fritos, potato chips, and like chocolate in there. So... In my house, what normally happens is my dad would hide the junk food. Well, really, my mom would hide the junk food from my dad. So um, so I go to my dad. I'm like, is this your shit? I'm about ready to unload on him. He's like, oh, that must be mom's new hiding place. I'm like, you're eating, you're eating like a degenerate. You're eating like a high school punk that's like 112 pounds. Like, what are you doing right now? So... She's got a 176 cholesterol. My aunt, who's power walking seven hours a day, eating, you know, shit that general uh, animals graze on, you know, she's got the 245. Like, the number, yes, genetically, my aunt got the high cholesterol, and my mom's was whatever, moderate. But my mom's not taking care of herself at all, and you see a one, like, I don't care about... You know, I'm talking about genetic code, but it like really gets in to my aunt's head. Like, how is this possible? And it was like, it doesn't matter. You do your thing. You're, I'm like, you're living till you're 107. Like you're doing all the right things. It doesn't matter, you know, what the number set. You can't let in this situation, you can't let your, your predisposed, you know, high cholesterol family tree you know get interfere with your flow of of doing everything perfectly in the meantime my mom's eating like a seven-year-old and she says that she's eating cheerios every day for three years and that's why her cholesterol is so low like go work for general mills what's your problem cheerios aren't even healthy they're they're basically sugar and i think the box set might say it may lower cholesterol so you're gonna eat like an asshole you know, 23 out of the 24 hours, but as long as you have a bowl of cereal, you could counterbalance it. I mean, that's a little suspect to me. Yeah. I, I don't think Cheerios can do that much for you. There's, there's really not a lot of food that will counterbalance 
you just eating like shit for an entire day or, you know, for years on end. Well, what cheer, what, what general Mills did is when this concept of fiber, uh, came out there and, in GI glycemic index, they just jumped on that shit quick as shit. They put in as much fiber as it takes to be, you know, reputable and a noticeable difference against all of your cornflakes and rice krispies that have zero fiber. So they made their Cheerios with whatever, two to three grams of fiber and made it slightly low or slower absorbing than the competition. And then that's where you get these dumb, this is like eighties, early nineties nutrition that we're talking about right now, which kind of brings me into point number two, which is how you were raised. How you were raised plays a humongous role in who you're going to be as an adult and what habits you have, whether they're good or bad. So, for instance, uh, since this has been a good amount of Ned being weird Ned bashing session, here's a habit, showering. So, growing up, how many showers do you think I had a week? I'm afraid to answer. I'm going to say two. Pretty good. I had three showers a week. So how I was raised is that, yeah, you shower on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Kind of like sports performance training. Three days a week. And now this is where we're trying to say, because then people are like, oh, my God, you only shower three days? I'm like, dude, I don't smell. So the answer is, which always goes back to the the headband, uh, what I've learned through a lot of trial and error, A, I was raised to shower three days a week. I rock three days a week. I was a kid. You don't know. I was told it's normal. I was told that Europeans don't shower that much. And then me personally, I never really smelled. And part of the reason why I don't smell is because I sweat so much. So what you'll notice is a lot of times your stinkiest people are people that don't really sweat because people that don't sweat don't release all the toxins um, out of their body when somebody that sweats so much like myself, I'm just running water out. I'm basically cleaning myself. You're giving me this look right now, and I know it's it's kind of out of the box. I'm an out-of-the-box guy. I have my athletes smell me regularly. I tell everybody that I know, because you know I'm an open book, if you ever smell me, you got to let me know. And in my history on this earth... Now, let's be clear. There are points of time where I started showering more. I lived in Florida, and I would sweat through six shirts a day, and I was taking like two showers a day. Uh, In high school, I ramped it up because you start liking girls. You can't get away with that three days a week shit. Uh, But in general, and I always say, I have people smell me on the regular. I have my athletes. I'm like, yo, am I funky? Because there's nothing worse than... I yell at kids because I have some funky ass kids that don't wear deodorant and st- smell like shit. And I'm like, bro, get some deodorant. You smell like shit. Um, so I'm super sensitive to it because I never want to do be the dude that smells in a room. But, you know, the, the, the takeaway on all this is that y- your habits and the things that you do, you are hardwired. You know how hard it was to start showering on a daily basis? I'm like, this is a pain in the ass. I'm 20 years deep. I can't shower every day. Like, I don't got time. I got shit to do. I have too much to do. A lot of people say that 
showering is relaxing. Not for me. I'm in and out. Four minutes. Four minutes, I'm trying to be out of there as soon as possible. Point being that I am 42 years old and, you know, it still holds with you. So there's good and bad habits. You could call not showering enough a bad habit. But this transfers over to a lot of different things, whether it's being, you know, what we do know is that Ned never misses work. Ned will go to work sick. Ned will go to school sick. Ned will throw up all over the place. Um, that's a good habit that was trained because, you know, I don't have to deal with, you know, the repercussions of somebody being like, how on earth do you just disappear off the face of the earth and miss work? That hell has helped prepare me for the real world and has made me stand out and look better. And the history of me training this team, I have never missed and I've never been late. Seven years, 30 sessions. I'm 210 deep because I'm a numbers guy. I'm 210 deep of never being late or never missing. And then this happens tonight. 211. Fucked pisses me off still can't deal with it so start looking back and saying how was I raised um another thing for me was you know we were raised to always clear our plate so if you were if you're whatever 30 to 50 years of age you know this is kind of a thing because the people that raised you there's a good chance my mom was off the boat they didn't know like they had to figure it out it was survival you know, poor people, there's, there's not a lot of food around. So if you come from a house your whole life where everybody's fighting over the food or, or, and you finally get food, you damn well know that you're finishing your food. So if you've been taught because of how you were raised or what your opportunities or lack of opportunities were because you were poor, there's a high percentage chance that you're going to have some sort of eating disorder or situation that's going to be hard to shake. I've had athletes, I have an athlete that never drank water his whole life. When he was a baby, he he had Kool-Aid. And it took him to the age of 22 years old, of, and he never drank water. The only time he drank water was uh, summer college football because it was 105 and they were doing two-a-days, and he had to. When you're you know, trying to figure out why you're doing what you're doing, his bucket list of foods was pizza, chicken nuggets, Kool-Aid, soda, oatmeal pies, and, you know, maybe a couple other things. So you are set up for failure on the nutritional front based off of the, the things that your parents gave you. And my mom tried, like the way that we grew up, she tried to be healthy, but what was healthy in the 80s? It was like sugar-free, fat-free. This goes back to other podcasts that I talked about. But she thought, and you know, technology and, and information changes. So a lot of the things that she raised, you know, we ate a whole bunch of pork growing up. And then you learn that pork isn't good. But at the time, it was low-fat and it was leaner. So it was looked at as, as better. No, start to look back and how are you, if you have these issues, you have to look back and say, you know, why, you know, how was I raised? And it kind of gives you a blueprint of why you're running into some of the problems that you had. If you come from a family that's never exercised, I mean, 
all you've seen is your whole life of people not exercising. So what are the percentage chances that you're going to exercise on a daily basis? How healthy were your parents? These are things that need to be looked at when you're trying to figure out why you're terrified to take action in in various areas of your life. I always correlate it back to, because people want to hear about weight loss and not being able to work out and, you know, be self-motivated and take changes. I thought Cindy was throwing up behind me, but it's some other noise. Is that a kid crying? I don't know. Something's going on. Not my problem. Um, so while how you were raised, your genetic makeup play a huge role. Mental health timeline. So going back to my dad's situation, you're 77. That is my kid crying. You're going to have to edit this out. Who cries at 11? Anyways, um, <laughs> mental health timeline. So going back to my dad's situation, um, he's all of his, his father died at 57. Grandfather died early. All of his friends have died. His brothers and sisters have died. Every, I mean, that is, he has gone through the full spectrum and game of life of bad things. And you know that there's a level of depression that you're probably going to have if everyone around you has passed away, correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's really tough to go through, obviously. I mean, that's more than really tough. Taking his current situation. So there's a little bit of a game of life for you. Um, you've been sick to some capacity. There's a level of anxiety that occurs. There's the stress, you know, of dealing with not only daily life, but working in, you know, the anxiety of, of not being well, along with the depression that you're holding because of everything else. Then, you know, the actions and why you've been put into this situation that I don't even know what's going on right now. Somebody just kicked the fan over and kids are crying. <laughs> it's complete pandemonium. I don't know if I woke them up. It's a full-blown shit show. Um, so you can't make this shit up. They're 5 and 7. It's 11 p.m. Um, I'm trying to look at my phone to see the left off with there's a amount of, of stress that that builds up so there's amount of stress that builds up when you are sick and once you work in the your hardwired habits that got you into the situation and your genetic history and all these other things it becomes harder and harder to take action for things it's not as simple as oh you just need to exercise right but what about the fact that and then start going down the laundry list. And everybody has a list, which goes back to uh, this isn't about necessarily changing behavior. It's identifying why you're in the situation that you're in. So, you know, I've just noticed that mental health plays a huge role. Don't want to talk about how COVID has messed up everybody's mental health. I have more people, more athletes on anti-anxiety and anti-depression medication that I've ever seen in my life and, and not being and your look, the game of life, you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to have to, you're going to have to understand that, you know, you're not going to be on top of your game a hundred percent of the time. And it's just trying to, it's being as good as you can dude. If you're 
positive and life is good and everything is good going, you better damn well be eating the right way and eating healthy and taking care of your body because just something as simple as kids changes. You're going to go through some point in time in your life where you're going to be depressed, anxious, you're going to have injuries and you're going to have the times where you're not going to be able to, you know, be able to go out at it and be the most healthiest you. But if you're handling your business when you're feeling your best and when the least amount of stress, anxiety, drama, depression, and, you know, injuries and things like that, you have to make use of the time, which is why I'm so against crash dieting and fad dieting and quick fixes and things like that, because it's a short lived type thing and you're going to end up coming off the wagon and then sliding into, you know, a big, you know, health issue or family crisis or job change or something like that. And the, the less prepared you are and the more unsustainable of a lifestyle that you have, um, going into those rough patches, the worse you're going to come out, you know, you're going to be set your back. You're going to set yourself back a lot more when you finally do recover and have more of that sustainable level, you know, game of life to deal with. So, and then number four, uh, is your current health status. So you've gotten yourself to the point where you need to take action, but things that happen. So this is going back to generally my field, fear of the scale. The scale terrifies people. And a lot, you know, one of the biggest things that I see is people won't start to exercise because part of generally starting exercise is to get on a scale and see where you're at. And the scale is the biggest, meanest, you know, people would rather see the guy who sat next to me in a dark alley before they want to go up against that scale and just step on it. It's it's terrifying for people. And part of the reason why I'm saying this is I've been through it also. I've, I've been as high as 330 pounds. And who the hell wants to get on the scale when you're 330 pounds? There's no positives that come out of this. Like all that is is absolute terror because you're just like, maybe I'm 340. Maybe I'm 350. Maybe it'll say error because for you big guys, you know that most scales only go up to 350. So you hit the double E because I've had NFL combine guys that hit the double E. There is nothing you want to see defeated face is the big guy who hits the double E on the scale. We used to have to take guys to uh, the grocery store and weigh them on the meat scales. There is nothing more humiliating than having to go to the deli and being like, yo, current situation, uh, this guy's too heavy for our scale. He'll give you an autograph. He's going to the NFL, but can we use your meat scale? So fear of the scale. I'm not trying to tell you, don't be afraid of the scale. You just got to get on. Those are all the skinny people with good genetic codes that can eat whatever the fuck they want. Like, get the fuck out of here. The, the scale is fucking real. Um, the key is you just have to... You know, not overanalyze. Easier said than done. You should definitely be afraid of the scale if you're going to have to go to a grocery store and ask someone cutting deli meat if they can, you know, use your scale to weigh you. 
That's that's really that is just nightmare stuff. Yeah, that's some biggest loser shit. Um, so back to more fears. The first workout back. Um, you start working out. You get into routine. You're gaining. You're doing great. The game of life hits. You have a slip up. You start creeping. One week, two week, three week, one month, two month, three month. You don't want to go back because. The reason why you learn that you don't want to go back is because you've probably been there before and you get in there and your workout is shit. You're breathing hard after like five minutes. You know it's so defeating. Getting on the scale and getting into that first workout is absolutely demoralizing for someone. The longer you go ignoring your health status, the worse it gets, which is why... I'm a big reset button guy, whether it's a reset button over the weekend, whether it's the reset button for January 1st, I'm fine with the January 1st, it's you need to take action. And the problem with January 1st is it's the perfect, it's the ultimate reset button. But the problem is when people go into it, they do something not that's not sustainable nutritionally, and they do something that's not sustainable from a strength training cardio perspective. So what they do is they completely let themselves go. They go to Jan they go January 1st, they go sign up and they go work out. Bro, you went from working out zero times a week to seven. Like how long are you going to do that for? How many days you or five days a week? How many days are you going to hit that shit Monday through Friday after, you know, four, four months of not really going at all you know it's only a matter of time and data and data already says that you're you're toast by March 1 bro you're you're pulling it together and then you're sitting there in April you know thinking about waist trainers and uh, no carb diets and things to do to put your pull yourself together to be able to roll out there in your swimsuit in the summer and then it's like i'm going to do the alcohol diet where i just i'm just not going to eat that's a thing. That's the, I didn't handle business in March, April, and May. Now I'm in June. I got to look different. I'm just not going to eat anything and I'm going to drink. And the reason why that works is because alcohol is a diuretic. And what you do is you just piss all your body weight away and you don't eat any carbs and carbs hold water. People are not treating this as a journey. They're treating it as sprints and roller coasters of up and down, but you do need to know if you happen to be a large individual listening to this right now, you need to walk up to that scale and be a boss and be like, you're not going to fucking, you're not going to fucking push me around and you're going to get on the damn scale. Here's the thing. Once you get on and you see the number, you're, you're winning at that point in time. It's over. The scale's over. Once you get in and see the number, you're on your way up and you can't let a little digital electronic number make you be just completely rule your life if you're sitting on the bed and you don't want to just go work out make it a 30 minute workout make it a bitch workout do half the volume you would normally do get the habit of actually just going in and then you're like ned you're saying you just need to eat healthy and exercise no i'm 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 letting you know if you're that large person that can't take action or the person that doesn't want to go to the gym because you're going to be so set back that don't go into it, you know, don't, don't go from working out zero days to five. 
do one and just tell yourself and you can even give a sliding scale and a lot of I'm doing this more as I'm telling people you you just never work out never work out what's the best thing to do you're going to work out once a week on Monday and then when you put that off then you got Tuesday and when you put that off you get Wednesday and you got and you get 7 days to but by the 7th day you have to do it and so it allows you to procrastinate and put things off and make it you always want to do you always want to work out on Monday. Why? Because Monday's a reset. It's a natural human reset. I acted like an asshole over the winter. And if you look at people that, um, if you look at pull all the people that are healthy, well, healthy according to working out every day, what you you know what the busiest day at the gym is Monday, because it's a natural reset built in, and you go in and you set the tone. And if you work out on Monday, it guarantees you, A, it's going to severely increase the chance that you work out more than one day a week. And if you do it on Monday, you get it out of the way. And it guarantees that you're going to check one box. So go in and do the easiest bullshit, lightest. You got to go back all the way back to the beginning. Here's the good news about that first workout back you will have to do next to nothing to get a response. So, and I'm telling you this because this is me, the game of life kids hit and I got to the point where I think I didn't lift for a year. So I had that basically fear of the first workout back. I did three sets of push-ups, three sets of eight. I did three sets of you know, dumbbell one arm rows with like 40 pounds. And I did like some, you know, some core exercise, maybe three sets of curls, 25 minute workout sore for four days. It was 25 minutes because I got, and if anybody ever works out, there's that, you know, like I did what the hell is sore. I did uh Bulgarians two days ago. Shit's still sore. So take advantage of the fact that you don't have to do anything to get a response out of it. Taper it all the way down. Do some, do a layup, easy shit. Soak up the fact that you're going to get a response out of it and you didn't have to do anything because anybody that's trained a lot knows that the more in shape you are, you know, before you know it, you know, like you, when I'm a year into it, I got to do 10 sets of 10 of dumbbell bench to not even be sore. Whereas I can do three sets of pushups on day one and be four times as sore. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know that's probably one of the things I noticed the most when I, go for periods of time not working out and then pop back into it usually when i'm in the swing of working out you can go kind of back to back days or you're sore the next day but the day after it's fine but that first workout back you're sore for like four or five days it's crazy yeah but yeah it's just tough because once you work in all these variables it's so hard man you're set up for failure as i said this is more of is real relating with people and and not you know burying them like society does and you know how you feel sometimes because it's so hard it is hard to change behaviors i get it just start to learn more about everything else around you and it'll help you ch- and you know understand it and come at it with a little bit better perspective it might prepare you better a little bit to be able to make the change. 
Yeah, I, I remember I used to watch a lot of uh, the TV show House growing up, and that was a big theme of it, is, you know, people can't change, you know, it's always hard to change. And it is, it's really difficult. I know that's one of the things I'm going through right now, is I'm trying to get back into that habit of working out a lot more. And, you know, we were talking about going through things too fast, you know, maybe coming back, lowering your expectations. But I pulled my groin a couple couple weeks ago. <clears throat> I didn't touch on that that much, but injuries, limited, being limited to what you could do. There's nothing worse than, you know, getting injured because it limits what you can do when you're already not really necessarily motivated to take action. And now you have even less options because of something you know, you have to work around. So that would go under category four, which would be current health status. Uh, I think that's pretty much all we got for, for this episode. I know it was a little bit of a change up of what we were doing, you know, in the past, but it seemed pretty relevant. And I think it was good for, for us to do it. Uh, is there anything you kind of want to leave us with? Like any closing thoughts? No, I think I generally covered everything. The big takeaway is you should probably go get on the scale and not overreact and uh, shorten your workout up and uh, and make a change. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. And we are going to have some guests coming in and stopping by this summer, so we'll let you know when that happens. But until then, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>